Hello and welcome back to Grateful Gwenna. We're so glad you joined us. We hope you're safe and if you need assistance escaping a domestic violence or abusive situation, please do not hesitate to call the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Well, this is my attempt number two, second attempt, to record the second part of the recording for spiritual abuse. I'm not sure what happened to my recording, but it just kind of disappeared. So um, I don't see it and I can't find it anywhere, even in the episodes that um, weren't uploaded. So I'm just going to start over because my guess is maybe that's got not what exactly God wanted me to share. Um, so my part one of spiritual abuse was giving a f- just a few of the examples of uh, the ways I had been spiritually abused in my own marriage. And I believe what God wants me to share with this part two of the spiritual abuse podcast is um, just in general, some of the ways um, people can be spiritually abused primarily by the church or by a church, um, also by well-meaning Christians, um, friends, uh, just family members, anyone in your life. Um, who wants the best for you and has good intentions. Um, you know, I personally don't believe anyone wants to harm you. I believe everyone, and I try to believe, believe the best out of people until they give me a reason to otherwise, but it's not my job to judge them anyway, obviously, because I'm not God. But um, I have a tendency to give people the benefit of the doubt because that's what I would want people to do for me. Until they prove me wrong or until they prove me otherwise or until they prove that I can't trust them. So I believe that most of these people who are spiritually abusing us don't really realize that they're doing it. They don't really, they don't realize that they're spiritually abusing us. Um, They believe that what they're doing is in our best interests and that it's godly and that it's biblical, but it's not. Most of it is not. Um, So for example, and these are generalizations, um, in the church... Um, and in your marriage, uh, let's start with your marriage. If you are being abused by your husband, especially physically, but emotionally, sexually, financially, mentally, etc., um, then your husband is not obeying God's command on his life. And God's command for husbands is to love your wives as Christ loved the church and to love your wife as you love your own body. So to love a husband's job, biblically speaking, is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Again, how did Christ love the church? Jesus loved us so much that he gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for her, the church, sacrificially. So I believe personally that what the Bible is saying is that a husband's biblical mandate, his biblical command, his biblical responsibility to his wife is, according to the scripture, to love his wife sacrificially because that's how Jesus loved us as his church, his people. Um, A husband is also biblically commanded to love his wife as he loves his own body. And the scripture says something to the effect of that because whoever loves his body does not harm it or hate it, but cares for it and feeds it. And so our husbands are biblically mandated and biblically commanded to love us, their wives, as their own bodies, and to feed and care for us. 
In other words, husbands are biblically commanded to take care of us wives. By take care of us, it doesn't mean to lord over us in an authoritarian or dictatorship style, telling us, you must submit to me because that's what the Bible says. No, that that is, Jesus never did that. Why would we think that's what God's intention for us is through the Bible? Um, yes, the Bible says the man is the head of the household. However, when a husband abuses his wife, he's breaking that covenant, that marriage covenant, and he's disobeying God's command to love him. Not only are we as wives not required to submit to that, but um, if we're already married and this is happening to us, it's our job as our husband's help meets to help him not abuse us, basically. Um, can we stop him from making a choice to abuse us? No, that that is his choice. That's between him and God. Can we pray away his abuse of us? No. And unfortunately, too many times abused wives are told, well, if you would be a better wife, you know, your husband would stop abusing you. Or, you know, if you would pray more and have more faith in God, your husband would stop abusing me, you. The problem with those suggestions, there's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but those are suggestions for a healthy marriage. Those are not suggestions for a marriage where one spouse is abusing another. And obviously it could be the wife doing the abusing, but A, that is much less, that happens much less, occurs much less statistically speaking. And it is both men and women, um, cases of domestic violence who go unreported. And two, I am a woman, so I can only relate to the woman's side because I'm not a man. So that's obviously what I'm going to focus on. Um, but I do know for a fact, because some men have told me that the things I share on here are also helpful to men. So I hope that this helps you as well. Whether, <coughs> excuse me, whether, um, whether you are being abused or whether you're the one, um, you know, being the perpetrator, being the one abusing. So that is actually spiritual abuse. When a husband tells a wife, you have to submit to me because that's what the Bible says. Or when a husband says, the Bible says I'm the head of the household, so you have to obey me. No, no, you don't actually. You don't obey your husband. Your husband is not your father. God, the father is your father. God, the father in heaven is your father. You obey God. We obey God first and foremost as wives. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because, you know, if our husband is telling us to do something or not do something or say something or not say something that is in direct conflict with what the word of God tells us, then we should obey God over our husband. God should always come first. You know, um, our husbands don't take precedence over God. And beloved, my sisters in Christ, if your husband is abusing you, then he is quite obviously not obeying God. Not only is he not obeying God, but the fact that he seems to expect you to tolerate his abuse of you tells me and should hopefully tell you that he is not, not only is he not obeying God, but he's trying to require you to obey him over God, which actually is called idolatry. Anything that we put above God or that we think of 
more highly than God or more often than God becomes an idol in our lives. So God doesn't want us to be abused, beloved. He does not. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord God Almighty, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God wants the best for us because God loves us. God does not want us harmed. It is not God's will for us to be abused by our husbands. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that, you know, it's our cross to bear to be abused by our husbands. That scripture, when that is taken completely out of context and misused, when people try to say, well, your husband's abuse of you is your cross to bear. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, Your husband's abuse of you is not only a crime, but it's also a sin against you and against God. He's disobeying God when he abuses you. So this is another form of spiritual abuse. When your husband says to you, well, you have to obey me because the Bible says you have to submit to me and or you have to obey me because the Bible says I'm the head of the household. He's not wrong about the verses he's quoting, but he's abusing them and misusing them to exert his, I don't know, dominion over you. He's trying to control you and gain power over you. But your husband is not your God. God is your God. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that is who we obey. And so when your husband's abusing you, that's not what God wants for you. So allowing your body to be abused, and I'm not saying it's your fault because he's making a choice to abuse you if that's what he's doing. And since you're listening to this, I'm assuming that's what he's doing. Um, Or your friend or whoever it is that you're listening to it for. So if he's abusing you, he's disobeying God. And if you're allowing, quote unquote, I'm sorry, let me change that. Let me change the wording of that to be more accurate. If your body is being allowed to be abused, then the person doing the abusing of your body or your soul or whatever it is, your emotions, your mind, then that person um, is not obeying God. And that person is causing you to disobey God by allowing your body to be hurt. It's also scripture says our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit. So, um, so it's really important to realize that we have to obey God first. And if we're doing whatever our husband says, and it's in direct conflict with what God's word says, which a husband abusing a wife is obviously in direct conflict with what God's word says, because God wants the best for us. God says he delights in us. He wants the best for us. He wants to give us a hope and a future and he has good plans for us. If, if we're obeying our husband and he's abusing us, then we're both disobeying God because our bodies are being abused. Now, I don't want to heap, you know, added guilt onto you because there's no guilt here for there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And again, this is not your fault. I do not want you blaming yourself because As women victims of domestic violence, too often we tend to blame ourselves. But I just want you to please understand that, you know, anytime we obey anyone over God, that's a form of idolatry. And so obviously we need to repent of that. But God forgives us and he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. All we have to do is confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and restore us to all righteousness through his son, Jesus Christ. 
Yes, I'm getting a little preachy here and I'm not an evangelist, but I want you to understand that it's not your fault that your husband abuses you, but it is a sin for him to abuse you. And he is disobeying God when he abuses you. And I think a lot of Christian women, especially don't understand that. Um, and can we stop our husbands from abusing us? No, obviously not. They have their own free will. They make up their own minds. They make their own choices. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we can be aware of the fact that if he's abusing us, he's disobeying and sinning against God and against us. So that's one form of spiritual abuse that can come from your abusive husband. A spiritual abuse is to tell a wife something like either, you know, you have to obey me because the Bible says you have to submit to your husband or, and, or you have to obey me because the Bible says I'm the head of the household. Again, he's not wrong, but to lord it over you is a form of tyranny. It's a dictatorship. And your marriage was not created and designed by God to be a dictatorship. When God created Adam and Eve, he created Eve to be a helper for Adam, a helpmeet, to help Adam. Because God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so Eve was created from part of Adam to be a part of him. Like that's the most intimate thing that could ever happen in my opinion and in my mind, you know, so if she's part of him, why wouldn't he love her as his own body? So, um, that is one form of spiritual abuse that can come from your abusive husband. Uh, anything that someone uses the Bible to try to control or manipulate you or to gain power over you, or to coerce you, or influence you to do something, is spiritual abuse. Because that's not what the Bible is meant for. Um, the Bible is a love story between us and God the Father, sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die in place of us, in, in our stead, in our place, so that we don't have to do that. So that when we accept his free gift of eternal life, then we're saved, we can live with God forever and worship him eternally. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus is so good to us. That's what the Bible's a story about. And um, it's a, I, I, I like to think of the Bible as kind of a recipe for how to live life. You know, um, not everything is specifically addressed in there. Like, for example, raising children and being parents. But <clears throat> the Bible does have a lot of wisdom. It's chock full of wisdom on how to live life and what God says. And it's kind of like God's love letter to us. So if you've never re read the Bible, I'd encourage you to read it. I still haven't completed myself the entire reading straight through the Bible. Um, I started a few years ago and God keeps stopping me to meditate or I do have dry seasons. We all have them, right? I do devotions every single morning, um, but I don't always read my Bible every single day. Now, my devotions do have scriptures in them as well, um, but I, I need to get back into that habit of reading the Bible every single day. But if you've never read the Bible all the way through, I would encourage you to try to do so. And if you're a new Christian, I would start in the book of John in the New Testament, because that to me seems to be a little bit easier to understand. So that's one form of spiritual abuse. Um, is if your husband says, you have to obey me because the Bible says you're my wife and you need to submit to me. And or he says, well, the Bible says I'm the head of the household, so you have to do whatever I say. No, you obey God first and foremost. 
And hopefully whatever your husband asks of you will align with the will of God. But if there's anything that doesn't align with the will of God, you obey God over your husband. And um, a husband abusing his wife definitely does not align with the will of God, which means you obey God over your husband and your husband doesn't get to abuse you. So, and secondly, anytime someone uses a scripture to try to influence you or coerce you, or by that, I mean, talk you into doing or saying or not doing or not saying something that's called spiritual abuse. So that's the first um, example. Actually, that's two examples. I want to share with you just one example from my own personal life. Someone had really good intentions several years ago, and in their defense, and to be fair to her, she did not know that my husband, my ex-husband, was abusing me in my marriage at the time. Um, But I got extremely depressed, and it was all I could do to just carry myself to the church and sit in the service in the sanctuary. And when the service was over, my friend came over to try to encourage me and she sat down next to me. She asked me a few questions, which I don't remember. But what I do remember is her saying at the end, well, you're just going to have to get over it. You just need to pull yourself out of it. Friends, that is the worst possible advice she could have given me. And, you know, Jesus didn't go around telling people get over it. (laughs) He had compassion. He even had compassion on the people that everyone considered the sinners, which is ironic because we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of us, not some of us, but all of us. It also says in 1 John that if if we say we're without sin, then we lie and the truth is not in us. So, you know, although that lady was really trying to help. And I believe she had really good intentions. She actually did more damage to me than good because she heaped false guilt on top of everything else I was feeling. Because on top of it, I felt like, well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? What's wrong with me spiritually that I can't pull myself out of this and blah, blah, blah. There was absolutely nothing wrong with me. I was, my body and my soul and my spirit was shutting down because I had endured and tolerated so many years of abuse, primarily at the hands of my ex-husband, but also my extended family. And so there was absolutely nothing wrong with me. I'm shocked in hindsight. I'm shocked that I didn't have a nervous breakdown years before that. Okay. And secondly, that isn't even Christian advice. You're just going to make up, have to make up your mind and pull yourself out of this. Uh, no, we can do nothing without Christ who strengthens us, but with Christ who strengthens us, Philippians 4.13, I believe it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I need Christ to do that. That was such ungodly, unbiblical advice. You know, um, the whole point was I couldn't pull myself out of it. That was the whole point. I needed to rely on Jesus and trust in Jesus. And my faith, I've always had, like, faith used to be my number one, my top spiritual gift. And all my friends and family would always say, I don't know how you have so much faith with everything you've been through. Um, My one sister said it. I had friends who said it. Like, all my life, people have said, I don't know how you have so much faith in God with all you've been through. And my sister actually says said to me once, most people who have been what through what you've been through, they would they would blame God, not have more faith in God the way you do. 
you know? So when that friend or lady was sitting next to me in the sanctuary after church, trying to encourage me, you know, like I said, it just made it so much worse because I already had a ton of faith in God. God wasn't my problem. God wasn't my issue. My issue was my ex-husband abusing me. And I was naturally responding and reacting to that. So another form of spiritual abuse can be when a pastor, a church member, a friend, or a family member, again, with good intentions, can lovingly say to an abuse victim, primarily a Christian wife, you need to forgive your husband for abusing you. First of all, as if she hasn't forgiven him. Um, this is... I think a sorely misunderstood um, topic of conversation and concept here because the whole reason an abused wife stays with an abusive husband, especially a Christian wife, is because she has forgiven him so many times over repeatedly. Because what the Christian husband does who abuses his wife is he repeatedly makes promises that he can't keep. And the promises are, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did this. I promise you it'll never happen again. I promise I'll change or I have changed. You know, please give me another chance. I promise it'll never happen again. And these become empty promises because it happens over and over and over again. And what happens is the husband and wife caught in the uh, abuse cycle of domestic violence, they just keep going around that power wheel. If you look it up, um, on the National Center for Domestic Violence website, there's a power wheel from the do it's the Duluth model. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, if you look that up, you go through a circular cycle where the abusive event happens, say the husband hits his wife and then he apologizes and then they go through this honeymoon phase where things are better and then there's a tension building building phase where things start to amp up slowly and progressively again until you reach that climax where there's another abusive incident and you just keep going around and around like a wheel spinning on a car on a car you know and so telling a wife to forgive her abusive husband does absolutely zero good for multiple reasons one of them is the fact that she has forgiven him so many times is literally part of the problem because it enables his abusive behavior to continue. Um, and the cycle just keeps repeating itself. And it gets worse each time. Um, the violence escalates each time. It gets a little worse each time. And for most women, it can easily end up in them being um, in an attempted murder. And that is not an exaggeration. I mean, it took years for me to finally admit oh my gosh, my ex-husband actually tried to kill me. And you know, when I said it to him one time, he was in so much denial. It was long afterwards when I was safe and everything. He was in so much de denial, accused me of exaggerating, but it took me years to come out of denial myself as the victim. And um, so that's the first problem. Another problem with telling an abused wife she needs to forgive her husband the premise is good. While the premise is good, because it does say in Matthew that if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven. The problem is we misunderstand what exactly forgiveness means. You can forgive someone 
And it doesn't mean you have to reconcile with them. It doesn't mean, it does not mean you have to go back with them. But we so oftentimes think that if we forgive someone, it means we let it go. We pretend like it never happened. That is not the way to, to deal with abuse at all. Um, most people who abuse were abused when they were growing up or had some abuse when they were growing up or in their childhood um, or have some history of abuse in their lives, in their families. And so what we really need to do is attack the issue of abuse. We need to stop putting responsibility on the abused wife for, for, for quote unquote forgiveness and put the responsibility where it belongs, which is on the husband who's abusing his wife. <coughs> because again, he's making a choice to abuse. So we need to stop telling abused Christian wives, you need to forgive your husband. Come on. Do you really think they don't know that? Do you really think they're that stupid? Let me tell you something. Abused women are some of the smartest people you'll ever meet. And they're some of the strongest people you'll ever meet too. Because they manage not only to to run a household and a home like everyone else, but on top of it, they learn ways to manipulate their abusive husbands to make sure that he doesn't have an angry episode. And they learn how to placate him, how to please him which isn't fair to the abused wife because then she never gets anything she wants. And by anything she wants, I'm speaking even about basic human decency, like being treated well. So that is um, another example of spiritual abuse right there um, is when we tell a Christian wife, she needs to forgive her husband. She's not stupid. So please stop telling her that um, instead of the wife being told to forgive her husband, we need to start telling the abusive husband, stop abusing your wife. Like we need to be point blank. And it's hard because most abusers don't want to admit they're abusing. I mean, who wants to admit that, right? And we all have that to some extent, I think, you know, because we're all human and we all sin. But I'm talking about like severe, extreme abuse. And most people will say, I'm not like that. Like my ex-husband, the first time he went to the center for nonviolence at first and he had a, a restraining order, a no contact order on him against me. He wasn't supposed to call me, talk to me or come near me, but he called me and he's like, I don't understand why I'm in this program. These guys are terrible. I don't hit you. Like these guys hit their wives. And like a month later against the restraining order, again, he shows up at my front doorstep and says, and he's sobbing and says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm just like these men. I didn't see it before. You know, so we need to try to help. We need to try to rehabilitate these abusive men. Um, and again, I'm talking men because I'm a woman. So that's another form of spiritual abuse right there. Do not tell an abused Christian wife if she gets up the courage to finally tell someone what's actually being done to her behind closed doors in her home by her, her husband, who's supposed to be a Christian, who claims to be a Christian, who's supposed to love her, who's supposed to protect her and keep her safe, that she's not supposed to be afraid of. He's supposed to be the one to keep her safe, not the one she needs to be kept safe from. If she's finally mustered up the courage to tell you that, 
please, by all means, don't belittle her by telling her she needs to forgive him. No, you need to help her however you can, because her telling you what's going on is a cry for help because she doesn't know what to do. Most likely nine times out of 10, she's telling you because she doesn't know what to do. And she may just be bouncing ideas off you. She may just need you to talk to you to keep things confidential for her. But one of the wor worst things you can do is, well, you need to forgive him because you know, the Bible says to forgive seven times seven. Yes, it does. And we should forgive our husbands. But like I said, forgiveness is not the same as tolerance. And you know, the fact that she has forgiven repeatedly is what has her in this mess in the first place. It's what has her continually being abused in the first place. So telling a wife, a Christian wife to forgive her abusive husband is spiritual abuse in my opinion. Um, so a third example I'd like to share with you about spiritual abuse is when sermons in churches with good intentions and well-meaning uh, pastors are preached and sermons are given and spoken and talked to the congregation about what a healthy marriage should look like or about wives submitting to their husbands. Why is it we never talk about the husband submitting to the wife too? It should go both ways. The wife should submit to her husband and the husband should submit to his wife. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's not just for marriages. That's for all Christ followers, for all people, all of us who claim to be Christians, who claim to have Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and our best friend. And we have a relationship with Jesus. We're all supposed to be submitting to one another. We're supposed to be living in unity and in harmony. Harmony, As far as it depends on us, live at peace with others as far as it depends on you. You know, sometimes we can't help that because other people don't want to live with peace, at peace with us. But as far as it depends on us, am I perfect at that? No, none of us is. Do I try my best? Absolutely, yes, I do. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely, yes, I do. Not intentionally. But we are supposed to be submitting to one another. So I personally feel and believe strongly that Anytime a sermon is preached about a wife submitting to a husband or about what a biblical marriage and a godly marriage should look like, and there's not a mention of this does not apply to abuse, then that is spiritual abuse. Because what's going to happen is two things. One, the abusive Christian husband is going to go home and say, see, you know, that just reaffirms in his mind. See, the pastor said you're supposed to submit to me. That means you have to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, if I want, etc. You get the picture. The other thing that's going to do is heap even more guilt feelings, which is not from God. That's from Satan. That's from the devil. That's from the enemy on the abused Christian wife. She's already busting her butt, trust me, to try to please this man any way she possibly can. The problem is she can never meet that standard because he can never be pleased. Because no matter how hard she tries, she's never going to be good enough. Because the issue isn't with her, it's with him. And it took me years to understand and realize that. So, we really need to rehabilitate abusive Christian husbands, just like we really rehabilitate, rehabilitate people who go to jail or to prison. You know, they go through a program. And a lot of times, a lot of them come to know Jesus. And I would venture to say that 
the abusive Christian husband, is he really a Christian? You know, I mean, obviously I can't judge his heart because that's between him and God, but we're supposed to inspect fruit. And if a husband is abusing his wife, that's most definitely not fruit. That's the opposite of fruit. So, um, that is the second, or that is another form of spiritual abuse right there. Um, so yeah. And another form of spiritual abuse, um, there's an example of it in the Bible. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's more than one, but one specific I can think of right now is the adulteress and how people were stoning her, um, because she was, you know, uh, having an affair with a married man. She was obviously in the wrong. Don't get me wrong. She, I'm not saying she deserved to be stoned, but, um, she was obviously doing something wrong, but what about the husband? And I understand it was a Jewish society. It was a different historical time, but please, uh, allow me this for a minute. Run with me on this for a minute. Humor me on this for a minute. What about the husband? The husband was sinning with her also, but the Bible doesn't show us that he has any consequences for his sin. He doesn't have any consequences for his actions. He wasn't getting stoned and he was just as much in the wrong if, as she was. And um, so that's a biblical example. And um, it is spiritual abuse when we tell women, well, you can't serve in the church because you're divorced. But then we tell a man, you can serve in the church. It doesn't matter that you're divorced. I mean, that shouldn't exist, you know. Um, or when we hold, when there are two people living in sin, or we suspect they're living in sin, we shouldn't just confront one and not the other, you know, pastors or people in leadership or accountability partners or whoever it is, Christians, when we're trying to hold each other accountable for our sins, which we have to be careful of so we don't fall ourselves we shouldn't just confront one person or the other. And unfortunately, a lot of times, at least in my experience, what I've experienced myself and what I've seen both, it's the woman who's held accountable and the man is just let go. You know, both people should be hold, held accountable and it's not right. And that's spiritual abuse. And so we tend as a society and especially within the church, in my opinion, to put a lot of, to have a lot of, hold a lot of responsibility on the woman. It's both. You know, I think about Adam and Eve and, you know, some people think that, um, I can't turn the thing, the, the, I apologize. I can't turn the, the alarm bell off because I'm waiting for a notification of something. Um, otherwise I would turn it off for you. But, um, what was I saying? Uh, Oh yeah. When I think of Adam and Eve, you know, um, people have started changing their thinking about this, but it used to be that everyone would blame Eve for taking a bite out of the apple and talking Adam into it. It is both of them. I am not taking away the responsibility that Eve has for her choice to sin, but it was both of them. First of all, Adam was supposed to be the leader, right? And so I personally feel Adam should have tried to talk Eve into not eating the apple. And maybe he did. We don't know. But they both partook of the apple. 
Adam had a choice too, and he did it too. He let his wife influence him to sin. And, you know, also from my understanding of the biblical account, um, God told Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam told Eve what God said. Now, that should have been enough for her, granted. But I just think of that. And like, as a society in general, sometimes we just blame the woman for everything, you know? And I know that kind of sounds like a victim mentality, and I don't mean it that way at all, but it's the truth. Like, I'm a prophetess. I try to speak the truth in love, you know? And I just call it like I see it. A lot of people can't handle that. And it's made for a lonely life. I feel a lot like... I'm guessing the prophet Isaiah maybe he did um, because I God often calls me to say things to people that I really don't want to say because I know how they're going to react because I know how I would react. And I'm almost never wrong about the, how they're going to react because, you know, I would feel the same way. And I've had to learn over the years and people used to tell me, oh, well, you need to learn how to do it in love. That wasn't it at all. <laughs> I was doing it in love. <laughs> I hated having to do it to begin with, period. And, you know, I listened to them for years and put myself down for years. And, you know, but that's that's the job God gave me to do. I I don't go around telling people what they're doing wrong. But if God tells me to speak something, he'll always confirm it to me. And he won't let it go until I do it. And I always know. But I hate doing it because I know I'm far from perfect. I'm I'm not perfect either. I'm a sinner too. We all are. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I honestly hate doing that because who am I to tell anyone else what they need to do or not do? Like, I'm not God. I I don't like doing that. But um, I've learned I better obey God. It's better to obey God, you know. Um, but I try to do it as lovingly as possible. So those are some just a few forms of spiritual abuse that we can have. And like I said, people are well-meaning like they care about us and they're trying to help the problem is people don't understand abuse because they haven't gone through it themselves the people who give us bad advice and that's what it is it's poor advice bad advice they don't understand abuse because they haven't been abused so they're trying to give advice about something that they literally know nothing about and they're doing their best bless their hearts they're trying they're really trying to help you and it's wonderful of them to try, but in the long run, it just provides a lot more damage. So what can you do to a Christian wife who's being abused? What, what advice should you give her? Um, my opinion, absolutely nothing. Just be there to listen for her. Tell her you care about her. You're there, whatever she needs. Um, you know, the, the ultimate choice has to be up to her to hopefully eventually leave her abusive husband or her abuser. But my advice, the best piece of advice you could give an abused Christian wife is no advice at all. It's just being there for her, being a sounding board for her, being a safe place for her where she can go and talk and maybe encouraging her to get Christian counseling with a counselor who specializes in abuse or in domestic violence victims because regular counseling does not work for abuse. Marriage counseling most definitely does not work for abuse. In fact, marriage counseling can do even further damage and put the abuse victim, the Christian wife who's being abused by her husband, abusive husband, it puts her even more at risk because what happens is they go to counseling together. If she says, first of all, she's terrified to say the truth. 
because he's right there in front of her and he can deny whatever she says and all of that. He can deny whatever she says and all of that. Um, but she's going to get it even worse when they get home. If she even says a minuscule part of the absolute truth of what truly and really goes on behind their closed doors. Um, so yeah, the best advice I can give you for the best advice to give an abused Christian wife is no advice at all to be there for her, to be a safe place for her, to be a sounding board for her, to pray for her. Definitely. Um, and to offer, just let her know you're there, whatever she needs and whatever you do, do not. And I repeat, do not tell or let her abuser know that she's confiding in you, that she's confiding in you. Because if you do, that endangers her even more. And I don't think people realize how dangerous it is and how dangerous it can be. Finally, Another form of spiritual abuse, and this isn't all of them, but just a few, is when you ask an abused Christian wife, why did you stay or why don't you leave or why aren't you leaving? You're basically saying, why are you so stupid? Please understand that if you're asking that question, you don't understand anything about abuse. Because if you did, you wouldn't even ask that question. And I know your intentions are good. In your mind, you're probably like, why would you stay? Like, I wouldn't stay if I were in that. The problem is you don't know what you would do because you've not been in that. And if you had, you wouldn't say that. Now, there are a few cases that's an exception to some really, really super strong women, which I was super strong too. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't want to admit that I'm an, in I remember thinking I'm an intelligent woman. This shouldn't be happening to me. I remember having those exact thoughts I'm an intelligent woman. This shouldn't be happening to me. And I was so embarrassed. And in hindsight, I know now that Satan, the enemy, used that to keep me in bondage to my ex-husband's abuse of me because I was embarrassed. So I wouldn't bring the abuse to the light. And Jesus helps us bring the darkness to the light. When we have Jesus, he helps us bring darkness to light. And abuse is darkness, my friend. Abuse is evil. Abuse is sinful. Abuse is wrong. Abuse is harmful. Abuse is hurtful. Abuse is a crime. It is against the law. And if you're that, that is something that I did not want to admit for years. I was in denial, you know? Um, and honestly, if I could go back, I was scared for multiple reasons to press charges against my ex-husband when he strangled and suffocated me, but God saved me and I survived. I was afraid he, he was my sole source of income and I trusted God, but I was scared financially to leave him. So for me personally, it was all I could do to leave him. And again, it takes most abused women an average of seven times to, to leave permanently their abusers. I was textbook case. It took me exactly seven times total. So, and I didn't want to admit I was textbook case because again, I felt embarrassed because, you know, I'm an intelligent woman and, you know, this can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're smart or not. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, what you believe, your religion, your politics, nothing. It can happen to anyone. Abuse can happen to anyone. It's no respecter of persons. So again, it's spiritual abuse, in my opinion, to ask an abused woman, why did you stay or why, do, why are you staying or why don't you leave? And 
you know, there are many reasons why she could be staying. Um, there's a man on Facebook. His name is Patrick Weaver. And his Facebook page is called Patrick Weaver Ministries. And I highly recommend him. But he talks about his mother being abused to his, I'm sorry, being married to his alcoholic, abusive father for so many years. And I can totally relate to what he says about her in the fact that, well, a lot of it, but especially in the fact that he says, although he didn't understand it at the time, now he realizes, I'm pretty sure this is what he says. And I, I've told him before that I talk about him on my podcast and he's okay with it. Uh, he seems to like it. Um, I've shared some of his, I, I occasionally I will read something he writes or posts on Facebook, but he says that his mother part, part of, or the main reason she stayed with his abusive father was because at least she was there to see and try to protect her son. But if she had divorced his father, then she wouldn't have been there during visits and stuff. And she wouldn't be able to, to be there to see that her son was okay. And I can so totally relate to that. That's part of what kept me with my abusive husband for many years. But please understand, you don't understand all the reasons. You know, a lot of abusive husbands make threats against their wives. My ex-husband did. My ex-husband told me that if I ever reported him to the police or told anyone what he was really doing to me behind closed doors, that he would literally take my children, and he said your children, that's why I say my children and not all our children, that he would take my children to Mexico, where he's from originally, and disappear and I would and get lost so that I could never find him and I would never see my children again. And that was a real legitimate fear I had. And there are different things. Some, some abusive husbands tell their wives they'll kill them. And yes, even husbands who abuse their wives who claim to be Christian sometimes tell their wives they'll kill them. I remember I was in a support group for um, abused women who were getting freedom and escaping from their abusive husbands uh, clear back in the beginning of when I was starting to separate from my ex-husband and starting to get out of that um, marital bondage and slavery to his abuse of me. And I went to the support group and this lady there shared her story of how she had changed all the locks in the home and her ex-husband had um, a restraining order against him, a court ordered restraining order. And it was a summer night and she forgot to close her bedroom window and she woke up with him standing over her with a cocked gun pointed at her head in her, while she was lying in her bed. And thankfully, she was alive to tell the story. But I also remember another lady um, when I, I had to go to the welfare office years ago um, to try to get financial help because my ex-husband at the time was trying to control and manipulate me by withholding financial funds from me, knowing that he was the main income provider and the main source of income. And so I was in this uh, welfare office and this lady sat down next to me. And she was so nice and we were talking and all this stuff. And then she, I could only see the right side of her face. And then she turns her whole face toward me and the whole left side of her face was mangled because it had been destroyed by a house fire. And she told me her story of how her abusive ex-husband had lit her bed on fire while she was in it. He had lit her mattress on fire. And so her face that the scars were from that fire that he lit. And so, you know, again, 
another husband claiming to be a Christian. So we got to really watch out. We got to really be careful. We got to really try not to, I mean, we don't understand what these people go through and most abusive husbands um, try to control their wives. They threaten them. And the level of danger when an abused wife tries to leave her abuser, it escalates exponentially. And unfortunately, there are a lot of cases, statistics, it's a high percentage of abused wives and women who try to leave their abusers and end up dead. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I've done, I've been divorced from my ex-husband 12 years now and off and on over the years, I've done a lot of research. And unfortunately, this is a very common phenomenon. Um, and I personally think it's because the abusers are something in their minds that it's they think if she can't have them, then nobody can. And they think that their wives are a possession or a property. Your wife is not a possession or a property, obviously, any more than you as a husband are a possession or a property. So it's very, very, very dangerous to try to leave an abuser, especially an abusive husband. Um, I remember my ex-husband stalked me to the church. I decided to go to with my children and had prayed about. And, you know, um, I remember one day he was, he saw me on the road and he was chasing me. And so I sped up a little and he kept up with me and it ended up, we were going over 65 miles an hour in a 35 zone. And I was literally terrified for my life. And my children were in the car and that's dangerous. And I was freaking out because obviously, obviously I'm going to freak out about that. I was more worried about my kids than myself, you know, and um, thankfully I, I, well, I called the church I was attending at the time in the middle of this car chase. I, I'm not exaggerating at all. <laughs> and the pastor on call had no clue what to do. Unfortunately, they're just not trained. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't say he could help me, but um, he suggested I call a friend. So I'm in the middle of a car chase trying not to die or have a car accident while I'm trying to make phone calls going 65 miles an hour in the 35 zone with my children in the car. So I call a friend who happened to be a counselor also. And thankfully she was available and able to help and she helped us hide from him. And I finally lost him and you know, but I mean, it is a scary thing when you try to leave an abusive husband or an abusive partner. It's very scary. They fear losing control of you because they realize that's exactly what hap what's happening is they're losing control of you. Um, so that is another form of spiritual abuse. Do not ask an abused Christian wife, why don't you leave your husband or why are you staying? There are many nuances and just be patient with her. Be there for her. Um, if she's opened up and confided with you, understand, please, that took a lot of courage for her to come out and say that because she's probably embarrassed. It is embarrassing, even though it shouldn't be because it's not her fault, but that's how she feels. Um, she feels desperate and hopeless and she feels like, how am I ever going to get out of this? And there's probably a, a myriad, a plethora of feelings she's having that she may not even be able to articulate to, to you. So it's important that you're just there to be a safe place for her and to listen. And one more thing I'll say, in my experience, I, part of the reason I didn't want to open up to my friends or family at first is because I didn't want him to abuse them too. I was concerned for their safety. 
Um, but that again is another form of manipulation and control. And, um, I just, I didn't want, I didn't, I knew what he was capable of with me and I didn't, I did not know what he was capable of with them because if he's capable of treating his own wife this way, someone he's supposed to and claims to love and care about, how much worse is he going to treat someone that he's not supposed to love and care about? Do you know what I mean? So, um, so there are just a few examples and there are many more examples of spiritual abuse, but I feel like those are um, three of the biggest ones in my opinion. So I hope that helps. Remember, read your Bible first, um, pray and have a relationship with God first, ask him to reveal to you. And if you're the one being abused, I'm so sorry. You do not deserve that. I don't care what you've said or done. You do not deserve to be abused. You may have said or done something wrong. You got to stop blaming yourself, you know, and I'll tell you something after you've been abused for so many years, you're going to say or do something wrong. It's you're only human. It's only natural. You can't avoid it. Like the best kindest persons are eventually going to lash back or lash out. You, you just, you reach a point where you snap and you just can't take it any longer. And you just feel like, oh, well, if I die, I die. You know, um, th there's a lot going on that people who haven't walked through abuse or been abused that they don't understand. So, um, if, if you are privileged and blessed to be someone that an abuse, an abuse victim is confiding in, you know, thank you. Thank you for being there for them. And please just try to be patient with them. You can refer them to resources, um, especially like the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Um, your local YWCA, which is your Young Women's Christians Association. Excuse me. Those places, um, those YWCAs, they usually have confidential women's shelters where people can go temporarily to get away from a, an abusive situation, especially a dangerous one. And a lot of times, oftentimes, abused wives don't realize how dangerous their situation is. I remember people, when I finally confessed what was going on, people tried to get me to leave my ex-husband at first because there were various reactions because nobody totally understands it. Some people didn't believe me. Some people believed me, but then tried to victim blame and shame me by telling me I was stupid for staying. <laughs> and then there were people that were like this, what I'm talking about. I don't even remember what I was saying now, but, um, thank you for helping. And it's not easy to go to a shelter at first. Um, you gotta be wise. You gotta be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. I, I remember when I finally made like something clicked in my mind, something snapped and I finally made my mind up that I've got to get out of here. I've got to get the boys and me, the kids and me out of here because this is not healthy for any of us. It's not safe for me. My boys don't need to be without a mother. Um, oh, I know what I was saying. People, some people tried to get me to leave him and I knew I had to be really smart about it. And I did. I, um, I had to sneak around behind his back because he was so incredibly controlling. And so, um, I actually had the locks changed while he was at work um, and, and packed uh, like one of those little travel carry-on suitcases that you, like a little black travel suit kind of suit carry-on suitcase that you carry on an, air, uh, an airplane or something. And I had that sitting on the front patio when he got home from work. 
And um, I should have probably had a sheriff there when he showed up too, because he was livid because he was in denial and he was losing control of me. Um, but you got to make sure you're safe. So um, those are some of the forms of spiritual abuse that can happen and often do happen, unfortunately. And I am getting a warning um, that the maximum recording time for segments is 60 minutes. And it's been almost 60 minutes. So I'm going to stop this part two here. Um, thank you for listening. I am praying for you. Um, you know, if you or someone you love is being abused, um, like I started to say earlier, please call the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE, and or go to your local women's shelter. They will help you. Um, they do have certain rules to help keep you all safe, but they will, um, they will put you up uh, temporarily, you and your children, if you have children, to protect you from being abused. But a lot of times women don't realize how serious the abuse is. That's what I started to say earlier. Um, I didn't at first, and people kept telling me it's going to keep escalating. And I didn't believe them. I was brainwashed by my ex-husband and the church and believed that he would change. And he never did. It just kept getting worse. And we just kept going around and around in the cycle. Um, until it escalated to the point where he strangled me and suffocated me. And, um, he was, he had come from behind me and put his arms around my neck and put one hand over my mouth and nose and held me tighter than I've ever been held in my life. And I could not breathe. And I was, my knees were starting to crumble and give out because he had me in a chokehold and, um, he attempted to murder my life. To this day, to my knowledge, he still claims that the police lied and that he never strangled me. But there were strangle marks on my neck. Um, there's, there were witnesses. Um, the police saw the strangle marks on my neck. Why would I lie about that? It's embarrassing. I don't want that to have happened to me. <laughs> what it, does, it, gets, it gets me nothing. So I promise you I'm telling the truth, unfortunately. I wish I weren't. <laughs> So anyway, please stay safe. Again, I'm praying for you. Thank you for listening. I love you and Jesus loves you more. Until next time, God bless you.